So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection with your hosts, Rico Shields and Jean Victoria Norlock. Bringing your inner life to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to this June 13th, 2013 episode of Everyday Connection. I'm Rico Shields, and off here to my left, way over yonder, Jean Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jean? Hey. I'm starting to feel like I'm living in the rainforest. Right? <clears throat> what the hell is going on? It's way over there. Ah, For I, those that... I, Miss I'd the, love Costa Rica, but come on. The uh, adrenaline-loaded thing that it is to be me in the moments right before the show. Um, Jean was there on Skype, and then she wasn't there. It's all hate. gone bye-bye. And I'm telling you, the whole thing just went down. Yeah. Gone. Plunk. So, you know. We're all living. Ain't it grand? <laughs> Gotta love technology when it works. Well, you know, there's always backup plan. Thank goodness for the backup plan. Right? Um, I'm sitting here going, what do I do? And then I was like, wait, she has a phone. You want to hear the really funny thing about that? I was typing into you in Skype called the landline, not even thinking, of course, you're not going to get it because I don't have any internet. Right. (laughs) But maybe you you picked up on my mental, call the landline. I'm down. I'm crashed. I think I did because it just suddenly came to me like mid-click, oh, wait, call the phone. Yeah, yeah, she's down. And I think you said hello as Sally said three, two, one. Yes. Somewhere right about in there. And I was just like, (laughs) I'd say hello back, but what would be the point? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, you know, real life. You adjust, you adapt, you accept. It is what it is. Um, you know, some sacrifices need be made for the glorious, beautiful surroundings that I happen to be immersed in. So I'll take them. Yeah, and so for any of those I'll of you that them. haven't been following along lately, I'm July the second. I will be flying the morning before we do the show in the evening uh, to Costa Rica, and uh, uh, Jane is going to be running the board and running a show all by herself if I don't get there in time. I'm I feel certain I will. I don't have any trepidation about it, but you know, I didn't have any trepidation about the fact that I was talking to Gene over Skype t- ten seconds before I wasn't. As I said, it is what it is, darling. It is what it is. Mayflowers bring April showers bring May flowers. Oh, April. Yeah, well, we're a bit late, apparently, on that. Cause it's well, you're up a little and, uh, north. Mm-hmm. 
Yes, elevation and all that. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, well, it's like yeah, one of the dog owners here in the place that has dogs that Molly's friends with, so we see him when we walk, is from South Africa. And we're actually right now getting into the height of June bug season. Uh, and that's all I've ever heard him ho- called my whole life. My parents are from Oklahoma. You know, I grew up mostly in Texas. June bugs. Apparently in South Africa, they're Christmas beetles. Well, I, didn't think of, I didn't think about it, but that would be the right seasonal thing. Absolutely. That makes total sense. First, they'd be Christmas beetles. So, you know, now every time I see them, I think Christmas in June. Oh. Well, it's always a possibility. You could always go live in Africa for a while. Yeah, never know. Okay, it have to be Costa, Costa Rica is a good start, though. Plenty of bugs. I'll take pictures. Yes. Lots of ones to play with, actually. Um, and as we've discovered here, apparently the ones here will let me pet them, too. So. Yes, well, once you've become the bug whisperer, it just... I guess it sticks, right? Goes with I've you. never been able to pet bugs before, um, but it's 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 a fascinating new game. Well, you know, that's, that's always fun. Having um, gone to Costa Rica where the bugs are big enough that... Well, you... You know, you might be have some fear around petting a little thing. You'd be afraid I might squish it. But you don't have that problem in Costa Rica at all. Yeah, yeah, there is no squishing. <laughs> <laughs> well, unless it's done by the bugs, which, you know, is yeah. a possibility, actually, if you've ever seen a Costa Rican grasshopper. They're uh, rather large. Um, but speaking of fears, before we get to our guest tonight, who um, actually we're going to be playing something special from our guest tonight that might end the timely as always, is brilliant. George, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> we'll explain that later. But uh, fears, 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 fears. For our listeners um, who've been with us pretty much, well, right from the start, I'm going to say from the first year, you've all heard me hear, say it several times. I'm terrified of public speaking. Terrified. Like, standing in front of a crowd and actually talking is probably... It's kind of a toss-up as to whether or not I'd rather be thrown off a cliff without a parachute or a parasail. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's you know cold sweats, shakes, throat seizes up, breathing becomes erratic, heart starts down, something, and then my brain goes ooh. <laughs> so um, it's been my last hurdle, and I'm uh, decided today I'm going to overcome it. And get over that. And uh, so, hurdle jumping. Don't know when. Don't know when because I haven't solidified anything yet. But uh, for those of you who've been to the Phoenix Rising blog site and have seen the truth talks, I'm thinking I'm going to take those out on the road into the public and actually do some workshops, some truth talks workshops. Because that sounds like fun. <laughs> Could be truth shops. Could be truth shops. Um, and uh, the first one, oddly enough, I'm thinking should be about fear and overcoming it so that you can pursue your passion. <laughs> Get on with your life. Stop hiding. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll announce that on the air when it gets solidified and manifested and stuff. And stuff and stuff. And stuff and stuff. But you've taken steps. You've placed phone I calls have. today. You've done stuff. So it's good. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm doing mine. One of mine is 
long been stuffed. And it's one people don't notice much because they don't. Nobody comes over here, so you know. But I'm surrounded by stuff, mountains and mountains of stuff. That's not horrible bad, but I've always sort of cushioned myself with stuff. Well, I've always got my stuff. Like, I don't know, like Steve Martin and the Jerk going, and this lamp, I'm going to take this lamp. You know, I mean, weird. And um, pretty much getting broken of that. The shipping cost down to Costa Rica is horrendous. I do get to take two bags because I wouldn't, spend miles to upgrade myself to first class, but I spent miles to upgrade myself to first class because Molly's flying with me. Uh, Ain't it always the case? The dog gets the... She's, you know, raw buffalo, paleo diet. Me? uh, Whataburger? Um, And uh, chocolate. Uh, But um, So that gets me an extra... What instead of fit one fifty pound bag, you get two seventy pound bags. So that's like an extra ninety pounds, and it was like five hundred bucks to send twenty pounds worth of stuff UPS to Costa Rica. Because apparently, I guess it's all air. They they don't do like ocean cargo to Costa Rica. So, and and they don't drive trucks that far. There's a road that goes, but uh, it goes through. Well, it goes (laughs) through some really ugly places that I wouldn't want to be alone. Next month. but the point is here is that you're moving into a fully furnished place, um, and your your crutch has been your stuff. And the energy around this year, really, even for those of us who've been doing this for a really long time, I'm seeing a lot of posting and comments about, <laughs> where did that come from? I thought I was done dealing with my crap, and now it's, like, in my face, and I'm having... I mean, even those of us who are in the no, quote, unquote, which is, you know, always a lie, but <laughs> we we still have our, our, our stuff, in Rick's case, literally, to deal with. And um, so this is the year for, for getting over that last hurdle, getting, stepping into the true truth of your being. You know, I mean, it's always a progression, and we're always, what's next, what's next, Um and um, so, so for those of you who are listening to the show and you listen to the show often, and if you're coming up against these weird things that are popping up in your face and you're like, I thought I dealt with that, um, well, you didn't. <laughs> that was a good time. It, it, it to deal with it deeper or more. Or... Right. So now's a good time to dig into that. And, and, and you know what? Let it go. Um because it, it, certainly if I can do this and I'm freaking determined that I'm going to do it, and if Rick can, can give away his stuff and move to a different country, um, if we can do it, you all certainly can do and deal with your stuff. So that's tonight's banter is all about dealing with your, whatever your fear is, that last little itchy thing that's scratching at you or clawing at you and holding you back, just shake that off. Moving on. Moving on. Next. Right. Now serving. Number, pick one. I don't know. 777. 1111. Some I don't know. What number brings with you? Pick that. But wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be grand if while you were having some of this, you know, man, I thought I dealt with that third chakra issue, that fourth chakra. I've run all my chakras till I'm blue in the face and purple in the crown. Uh, wouldn't it be nice if 
you had some assistance and some soothing. Uh, Always good to have a little help. To go along with that. And uh, so, as so often happens to us, since we don't really plan our guest calendar, George does that, uh, here comes uh, this evening's guest who happens to have that very thing. And uh, so we'll talk about perhaps how some of that can uh, apply and be of assistance and be of comfort. And he's got quite a bit of other things that he does as well. Um, Indeed, but timing couldn't be, I don't think, more perfect for this particular guest. Ah, synchronicity. Love it. And uh, so we have with us a musician and uh, meditation Master and perhaps I don't know if he would say that it's not in the bio. I don't do. Every, sometimes we get we didn't get one from David. But sometimes we get the here's the radio introduction. I don't ever do that. Um, but uh, I've listened to some of this gentleman's music and uh, and some of his words and, uh, and talks that he's given on various and sundry places. And I'm really thrilled to uh, introduce you all tonight and welcome to the show, David Eisen. Welcome, David. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks, and thank you so much for having me this evening. Oh, we're very pleased to have you this evening. Absolutely mm-hmm. pleased. Tickled, in fact. <laughs> the timing, as I said, is is, is brilliant. Um, so we'll get right into it. We'll ask you the question, and then we'll see where we go from there. That sounds great. Awesome. So who on earth are you, and what do you do? Could you say that again, please? Who on earth are you, and what do you do? I am uh, a composer and a meditation teacher. I produce a lot of music. Um, I am a very old organic chef. Uh, I've been... I spent my day today cooking in preparation for a long seven-day intensive on a new practice that I'm bringing forward. Um, Last year, we founded the Institute for Creative Consciousness, and uh, the next seven days, starting on Sunday, is uh, our first seven-day intensive on this amazing practice of creative consciousness. Um, So my work, I've been doing what I've been doing for 40 years now, uh, and everything has brought it forward to this point, to to the assimilation of, of sacred science and of ancient meditation practices of the science of sound and this modern approach to uh, to learning a practice of how we choose what we choose in order to develop the capacity for enlightened choice. This is important in this time, in this place, in this where we are in in history, where we are in time today, because you know. Jean, you were talking about the fear of public speaking. Yes. 
and then you were talking about fear in general. Yes. Um, I have learned through years and years and years of practice and years and years and years of working with patients that the deepest human fear is the fear of the responsibility that comes with the ability to choose. People are so afraid of taking responsibility for the results of their choices. You see, this is they, that they they're so afraid of the responsibility, or, or they're and they're very they're so afraid of the fact that they are in fact responsible for every action, every choice that they take. That people and consciousness will abdicate that responsibility to someone other than myself. It will give that responsibility over to God. It will give that responsibility over to the state. It will give that responsibility over to the church. In other words, it will the person will say, I am doing God's work. I am God is working through me. You know, as opposed to saying, I am, in fact, choosing the results that I am creating, and et cetera, et cetera. So I've discovered that the deepest human fear is this fear of responsibility. And it's by embracing this fear and coming to learn how deeply uh how 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 deeply we avoid uh this power of choice and the, and this acceptance of responsibility um it's by coming to to know that about ourselves through through if you will through the practice of creative consciousness and through other practices as well it's by coming to know that, that we begin to embark on the journey of learning how we choose what we choose and then learning why we choose what we choose. And this learning moves us into the science of purpose and the knowledge of the function of intent because those are some of the most powerful driving forces in our consciousness and in our choices. The power of purpose is what moves us through the world. And it and the energy of intent is what makes the purpose happen. Are you with me right there? And so when we talk about embracing fear, it's really important to understand that it is by choosing that it is possible to embrace the thing that I am afraid of. That is when we move toward the fear. And rather than avoiding the fear. And this 
notion of knowing that it's possible is different than believing it's possible or having faith that it's possible. It is the knowing that it's possible that allows you to fully embrace the very thing that you're afraid of. And you have to choose to do that. If you don't choose to do that, you won't do it. It's really simple. It's so interesting the way that you explained it because you just verbalized, recognized conversation about this today. Right, Rick? Like we, we but, sat but, here and I... But much shorter and much more eloquently. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we sat here and I went through the whole... I, I had to go through the whole mental and emotional uh, next step, figure it out, what's blocking me, why can't I make it to my next step and and you know when it finally clicked in my head okay then then and then I had to say to my you know what I've had enough I've had enough of being afraid of that I can do that I do it every Tuesday and Thursday night and now every Wednesday night as well so what does it matter if they're standing in front of me as opposed to listening on a on, on a computer somewhere in the world so I had to really examine that and and look at it and then embrace the idea of of taking on that challenge and saying, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then pick up the phone and call somebody and say, can you help me arrange this so that I can take my next step to, to overcome this? Um, so so I, I, I do understand what you're saying because it, it took me to get to the point of of really, and, and part of that embracing it was like taking on that responsibility. I, You know, at one point I said to Rick, I said, this is on nobody but myself. This, I can blame nobody but me for this. This is me, and I need to I need to deal with this now, because this is my life, my career, my future, and I'm going to do something about it. So all of those that list of of thing of of, of actions that you just uh, described that that list is in fact a list of choices. See, that's it's very important to be with that. Because that's the only thing that was going on is that you you made you made this choice and then that led to this choice and then that led to this choice and each time one of those choices were made there was an outcome that was the result of making that choice and then that outcome is is the next step and now here's the choice that is contained within that particular outcome. And then here is that choice, etc., etc., etc. So, in creative consciousness, the practice teaches us how to do just that. And secondarily, uh, you were talking about uh, looking at yourself, and and this we call this creative observation, where where the observing function, which is a very high function and is a really, real necessary uh, function, is the ability to observe as opposed to react so that we can learn to respond rather than react. And we do this by observing and what we 
what we what we're observing are our emotional responses to particular situations. We have, we're observing our the physical sensations that come upon the body in response to these emotional responses to the situation. And so creative observation becomes a wonderful practice which is, in the end, you guys, the practice of creative observation, which is folded into the practice of creative consciousness, the practice of creative consciousness shows us eventually to do the following. It shows us how to observe the current situation that I find myself within. And it and it and allows us to, to observe with clarity, without uh, opinion, you know, uh, very objectively, looking at the circumstances of the particular event that I'm that I find myself in. Ultimately, why are we doing this? We're doing this so that we can learn how to, in quotes, create the conditions that allows the outcome that is contained in the present moment to come forward. You see, we're learning to create the conditions that allows the outcome to come forward. So, Rather than thinking that we are creating the outcome, we are understanding that what we're doing is creating the circumstances that allows the outcome that is inherent in the present moment to come forward. You see, we've at this at this level of conscious choice, we move past our desire for a particular outcome that is based upon my desire for this to occur. What happens in creative consciousness is that we learn that the outcome is already there. Just like we are already there. And so we learn this practice that helps us choose to create an alignment with the intention that is contained in the present moment with my intention. And now, these two levels of intent, the intent contained within the present moment, which is always there, and now that intention is, now my intention is to create an alignment with that intention, you see. So I have left my sense of desire at the door, you see. My intention is now to align my creative action with with what is necessary to bring forward what is contained in the present moment. You with me? Totally. I am... I'm, I'm Absolutely. totally with you, and, and this, the simplest like little analogy just came into my head. You can't win the lottery if you don't buy a ticket, <laughs> you know. Like, well, like, and uh, it made me think of the way people often, with the riskiest of things, will say, "This is either going to go really well or really badly," and that to me is the indicator that those both those 
things sort of exist right now because you wouldn't be able to think of them if they didn't. And so the, those potentials are there. So it's I love the way that you've focused on creating the conditions to allow that outcome to be able to that's here right now already. To, to it's already there. Do you want to hear an amazing piece of creative consciousness? Listen, listen to this language. The present moment is pure potential. Secondarily, the present moment is pure potential becoming actual. Third, the present moment is actual. It's, and so now the present moment is all three of those states appearing simultaneously. So this is heavy-duty physics in creative consciousness land. So right here, we're looking at the essence of the function of simultaneity. And this isn't some New Age cosmic foolishness. This is actually what's going on. What's going on is the present moment is pure potential. So we would call it the architecture of potential. It's a lovely visual phrase. Contained in the architecture of potential is, in quotes, the need for the actual to come forward. Right? Because if there wasn't an actual, there would only be potential. It's really elegant and simple like that. So there is a deep need for the actual to become actual, okay? So what you're looking at and the thing that you just said about the good or bad or whatever, this is that that way of looking at it, okay, uh, shows the dualistic nature that's inherent in any circumstance, all right? And so what we're looking at is, is the moving of the two in, into one. This is what we're looking at, is the moving of the two into one. And that one is the actual that is contained in the potential that is that is now needing to come forward. So when we are doing our practice of creative observation, we are observing the present moment without my desire for an outcome clouding my vision, right? Because that's what happens, is that my desire and every spiritual tradition on the face of the planet for 10,000 years has told you about this very thing. And so my desire for a particular outcome or my craving for a particular outcome is clouding my vision when I am looking at the reality as it is. So I'm not seeing reality. I'm seeing reality through the lens of my desire. You see? So creative observation inside of creative consciousness is the practice that brings us out of this field of desire and brings us into the field of the actual. And we, because we understand that what we're doing is creating an alignment between our own intention 
which is the choices that we make. So my intention is to create an alignment with the need that is contained within the architecture of potential. And in so doing, my actions are now in alignment with the universal essence as opposed to my own desire. Now, can you imagine if there was 50,000 people on this planet right now who were practicing creating art and creating beauty and creating dance and poetry and music and architecture using that practice it would change the balance of the world that we are living in now and this is what I'm trying to do frankly <laughs> with we're, trying to, we're trying to change the world I'm not I don't want to change the world okay I gave you know that is that is the one of the most that that is such a heavy desire to change the world. My intention is to create a practice that that brings about transformation within the consciousness. So I'm looking for, I'm looking for what I'm calling a transformation within rather than a transformation without. And then by bringing forward that practice within then the person who is empowered with this practice will be able to choose to employ the practice to create their art. And when they do that, their art will be in alignment with the universal laws as opposed to be an expression of their own creative desire. And if you really look at the world around us, what we have is thousands and thousands of years of choices being made that are based upon seizing what I want and creating a reality that's based on getting what I want. Now, if we can turn that around from within, then things are going to change. And, and they will change without. So if you understand what I'm saying, this isn't changing. Oh, yeah. The intention is not changing the world. The intention is to change the self within. And then, then the, 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 with the power of enlightened choice, now actions will be taken um, from within that perspective, like that. Exactly. Well, it's, and it's the only, it's the only thing that really works, is it is because I can't, I can't control my kids, much less am I going to go out here and fix the world. Wow. But you can control your relationship to your kids. Right, and 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 you can't control your most kids, but really important to me is back towards the beginning when you said to go from. Uh, Reacting to responding, choosing a response. That's right. Because so often I find in my own, you know, journey of discovery, things 
reactions were often based on something that happened a gazillion years ago when I was like five. And so, really, that meant I was making present-time choices with my five-year-old self. Well, it's not a wonder they were a bit nutty, really. And so that making sure that you're in the present observing is because, as you said, the outcome is in the present. It's not back there or off in... I no, it's not, and your and your choice future world either, and neither is the future. So, so going with what you're just talking about, when we are talking about creative observation, there are many many aspects to this particular practice. One of them, one of these aspects, is uh, to to cultivate the ability to observe behavior, to observe my behavior. So step number one is I observe my actions in this this present moment. I develop the capacity to step outside of, of myself, so to speak, and look back down upon myself, and I see my behavior. I observe my behavior. Immediately upon doing this, this action, which is based on the choice to do it, this action, it it does what's called, it cuts the cord of reaction. And it begins this process of responding. The second step, which is even more interesting, is that through the window of observing the behaviors, which is already this you know, step back, you can develop the capacity to observe the source of the behaviors, which is what you're talking about with the five-year-old. Right. So one can develop the capacity to observe the source of the behavior in real time while as a result of observing the behavior. So you can, if you will, go down deeper from observing yourself in real time in the behavior and say, oh, look, I'm doing this right now. Oh, look, this is what I'm doing right now. While you're doing it, you see. So I want to say this here. There is, in this practice, we never try to stop the behavior. We never try to manufacture a piece of behavior, and we never try to stop the behavior. We just observe the behavior. What we understand is is that by trying to stop the behavior, you actually increase the possibility for an increasing amount of this behavior. It's like any time you back a person or an animal up against a wall or put them in a cage, what happens? They're going to fight. So if you try to stop the behavior, it's going to fight. It's going to put up a fight. This is normal, and this is this is regular uh, consciousness doing its little consciousness dance. So what we learn is is by observing the behavior rather than 
berating yourself for the behavior or rather than trying to stop the behavior. You just simply allow it and witness it and watch it while it's happening. As you learn to do that, all of a sudden, the, the source of the behavior becomes visible. A lot of times, a, a thing that helps you do that is by observing the sensations like your heart beats faster. Right now, I'm doing this, and right now I can see my heart beating faster. Oh, my breath is changing right now. So I'm watching myself do that. Now, if you can step back even further, that five-year-old kid might very well emerge into the consciousness. So instead of the behavior that the five-year-old kid is perpetuating or creating, the actual five-year-old kid can come forward within your consciousness. And at that point, you can say hello to it. And you can say, hey, how are you doing, man? Why don't you come on in? And you can practice now opening the heart. So rather than try to stop the five-year-old or tell it to go away or tell it that it's bad, what you can do is say, hi, how are you doing? You know, I really do love you and it's great that you're here. And so come on in. Come on in. And you know what happens when you do that? It feels really comfortable and it stops fighting. And that behavior that it's perpetuating actually drops away. And all of that happened because you simply observed. You didn't do a thing. Isn't that amazing? You did nothing. You see? And especially do the something of the trying to stop the behavior, which is that famous pushing against. Uh, You'll never do it. It will always fight you. It will always come back. It will always come back. But if you say, hi, I love you, which is all coming from the heart and opening the heart, then all of a sudden it's not afraid anymore, you know, because that's what it is. It's afraid. And you know what it's afraid of? It's afraid of being killed. It just wants to live. It just wants to live. It wants to be seen and validated and recognized and understood and loved and heard, just like everything else in this universe wants to be seen and validated and recognized and heard. Well, and it's consciousness. If you don't get into the debate over it's my consciousness, it's this, it's that, it's just... But it's consciousness. I think everything's consciousness, so therefore it must be consciousness. You try to make consciousness not be, i.e., just stop the behavior. It can't do it. It's like trying to smother somebody. They kick and fight and claw and bite, you know. And it will do that because its life is threatened. And so one of the biggest lessons here is this practice of creative observation. 
which is it ultimately leads you to opening the heart and, and receiving what is already there. The five-year-old kid is already there. It's not not there, and you didn't make it. It's just there. And so rather than tell it that it's not there or tell it to go away because it's misbehaving or any of these things, you just simply say, hi, how are you? You're, you're not wanted here. You're ruining our present-day life. Go back there where you came from. Go back there. And you know what it's going to say? It's going to say, kiss my behind and check this out. <laughs> and here and here comes a, a mortar shell and a flamethrower of great magnitude. Meet, meet my inner child, Dennis the Menace. Right. And, and with his flamethrower. Right. With with his flamethrower. So so we like Dennis and we're happy that Dennis is part of us. And so come on in. Instead come on in. you know, four year old little Ricky was on the playground, whatever. Anyway, some other kid took his stuff and he had this terrifying moment that, you know, they took my stuff, I'm naked out here. And yeah. went into such fear and trauma over it, had you know, dreams about being naked at Astro World for, you know, months, and then, you know, that just goes under and gets pushed into the back closet where it turns into, you know, the swamp thing. It, turn, it turns into a blockage. Okay? This is what, this is very specific. It turns into a blockage. The blockage uh, is then... It, the blockage is covering the experience. Okay, so what happens is, in this case, for example, is that there's an experience at four years old on the playground of whatever. Now, this experience happens in real time. What what consciousness does, because the experience was unpleasant or traumatic even, it creates an acceptable version of that experience in the mind. It goes, oh, this is what happened. Or it buries it altogether. That never happened. You see? So it's either an acceptable version that I can handle, or because I can't handle it at all, then I'm just going to bury it. So imagine the energy that that takes to do that. Because there's energy being expended, you know, here's this state of mind, and now here's this state of mind. And in and in the previous state of mind, this this memory, this suppression, this thing was not there, and now this manufactured version of the event is there. So that's the first part of the blockage. The second part is the maintaining of the blockage. You see, the first expenditure of energy was to create the acceptable fiction and and imbue the consciousness with that version of the truth. Or it was so traumatic to bury it entirely and so that it never happened. This is the essence of denial at work over here. The sec and so imagine the amount of energy that that takes to to create that within the consciousness. Now, the second layer 
is the maintaining of that blockage because now it's a blockage so it needs to be so it needs to be maintained now imagine the amount of energy amount of chi amount of prana amount of universal life force amount of healing energy in the body amount of awareness or consciousness or thinking imagine how much energy it takes to maintain this blockage so we would like to train the consciousness so that it can be released so that energy that blockage can be released and now this energy which was previously allocated to the tasks of maintaining the blockage this energy can now be available to you at a more creative and inspirational level. That's one of the things that we're, you know, creative consciousness is. Because I, I have to tell you, having been a little kid that tried to dam up where the water was draining down the edge of the sidewalk, and the water finds a way around, and then you patch in that little hole, and then now there's two, and boy, pretty soon you you got to have 57 hands if you're going to try to keep up with that thing. So it's a lot of energy that's tied up in these maintaining these things. It's, you know, you put somebody in prison, they don't just stay there. you got to stay there, too, and hold them there. That's all very true. And by the way, you know, we should, I think that, you know, we should create a prison system that is uh, privatized, and, and, and then we should have a corporate prison system that instead of anything else about incarcerating individuals, uh, that the bottom purpose is to increase the profits of the corporation. So I think that we should create a prison system based on a corporate privatized system. So that way we can increase the amount of prisoners because that's how we improve corporate profits. Don't you think that's a great idea? You know, it sounds really good, but I understand it's been tried on this little planet over in the corner, and it wasn't working out so good. (laughs) It's It's working out so well that the United States has the highest amount of incarcerated humans on the face of the Earth, number one. Number two... The ratio of black to white incarcerated humans is 400 to 1 in the favor of African-American and black Americans. And furthermore, according to the study that was released in the New York Times last week, after four years of analysis of this situation, one half of all the prisoners in the jails are there for marijuana. Furthermore, 400, the, 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 the stat is incredible. 1% of white people, four times, four, four, four black guys, one white guy. All for uh, marijuana. Well, for self medicating because if it wasn't for Prozac a whole bunch of the rest of us there'd be more in in than out I think but um, well, yeah. how um, 
we're reaching the we're actually a little past the halfway point here and and uh, I was uh looking forward to playing this uh solar plexus meditation uh that you were kind um, enough to I, share with us if I may yeah. uh, I think it would be better if we just played a few moments of the creation music and asked our listeners to just sit back and enjoy this experience of opening the essence of creation over the airwaves and to just sit back and receive that essence as opposed to um, Sounds awesome. That's that's the other that's the other option. I was kinda of tossed. So there there you have it, folks. Uh so this is David Eisen's piece Creation and um uh, we'll be back in just a, a couple of moments. Stay with us folks.
Welcome back, everybody. That was David's piece uh, entitled Creation. So you've been talking about this uh, method, uh, and it's you, you also have the sound systems and other things that, that you've done, but uh, this is is sort of an outline or a guideline of some concrete steps that people can take, it sounds like, to try to, you know, hit that point of observer. And because this, you know, the, suddenly then the source of the behavior comes into focus. That's was sort of the goal of psychotherapy and so many other uh, vision quest, what so many other ways of working on oneself. Uh, and um, to reach that point where you can find the source. And, I mean, psychotherapy was, well, it could take years. Might never get there. Might never get there. And creative consciousness, and I see patients, you know, every day, and I've been doing this for a long time, um, and I use music and meditation and conversations, sound, vibrotactile stimulation, all kinds of things, and it moves very, 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 very rapidly uh, as compared to any other methodology. And on top of it, I notice that the transformations are, um, you know, long-lasting, if not permanent. Like people don't, once they go through very specific gates, as I call them, very specific uh, gates, uh, that the level of transformation is quite profound. And they and the person um, moves, moves to the next step. And it's because the work is so deeply attached to purpose and intent. And it's not deeply attached to traditional to the goals of traditional psychoanalysis or or even to the goals of traditional meditation practices it's the work of creative consciousness is very much again about learning how we choose what we choose and why we choose what we choose in order so that we can choose to create an alignment with our creative intention with the creative intention contained within the present moment. And in so doing, through that alignment, then beautiful art and beautiful functional creative objects, be the object be a person or a house or a piece of music, or a, del- a wonderful poem, or a delicious meal, or a loving relationship. All of these, and, and an infinite amount of of singular results, come forward from knowing how you choose what you choose. And that's what's really different about this than any... Well, psych- Almost an hour of chatting with you. I haven't really heard you talk any about what people should choose, 
should choose, just that they are aware that they choose. Right. It's not my job to tell what what to choose. My job is to communicate the practice of how you choose what you choose. Now, between you and me and our audience out here, the mechanism that we use to choose is a universal form. You use the same mechanism. I use the same mechanism. Consciousness uses the same mechanism. However, and that's what we all share, you know, so this becomes a a thing that we all have in common. That's what universal is, right? Universal is universal. means that we share this particular such and such. In this case, the such and such that we're sharing is the precise process of how you choose what you choose. We're sharing the process of of how your intent is formulated. Our intention is formulated according to a very precise series of of, um, events and choices. And everybody has that particular thing in common. Then, because one of the universal shapes is the nature of one, and then the nature of infinity, and the nature of potential, because potential is infinite, right? That's what the nature of potential. It would be infinite. It wouldn't be limited. Potential is unlimited. Unlimited is infinite. So because of the nature of unlimited potential, there's unlimited choice. So who am I, or anybody else, frankly, to tell you what you should choose, okay? But I can help you understand the process of how you choose what you choose. And I like that. I don't like, I don't want to tell people what to do. Well, and 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 some forms of therapy sort of have sort of yeah they do had the Very goal much. of helping people hit what society says they should be, or what exactly. society says they should choose, or what religion says that they should choose, or what theology says they should choose, or what social media says that they should choose, or what the political platform says that they should choose. There's a gazillion ways of that we are told. How you know how to choose what we choose? There's a gazillion ways that we. There's a gazillion things that we are told to choose. Um, and over here in creative consciousness land, we're not too excited about that. <laughs> we're we're very excited about having consciousness at an individuated level take responsibility for its own power of choice. We like that concept a lot. We like that concept a lot, too. Nice. So I want to talk about the music for a second. Let's. Yeah. Please. So first of all, everybody wants to find out more about the thing. They need to go to thechakrasoundsystem.com. Thechakrasoundsystem.com. Or in Facebook, you can go to David Eisen in Facebook, or you can go to the Sacred Science of Creative Consciousness on Facebook. So let me talk a little bit about this music and how and why it works and why it's so uh, uh, powerful. Um, 
first of all, I've been doing it for 40 years now. Um, and that's a really long time to be learning um, how to create these direct experiences. Um, so here's this pretty amazing thing in terms of how can music create a direct experience of the function of an essence? So, what is an essence? An essence, for example, creation is an essence. Uh, relationship is an essence. Uh, expression is an essence. Or integration is an essence. And there's, I, I would think that there's probably an infinite amount of essences. Although, like the periodic table in, in, in three-dimensional physics, you know, there's a hierarchy of elements, and I'm sure that there is a periodic table of essences as well, and that there's a hierarchy of, of essences. So, in this way of looking at things, an essence is a function. So, so for example, creation functions. Creation functions to create, right? One of the things in creative consciousness is this practice that we call moving from the noun into the verb. Consciousness currently hangs around in the land of noun. It hangs around in the land of object. We want to encourage the consciousness to move into the land of action and of function, or, if you will, of the verb. So, so an essence, if you will, is a verb. In fact, consciousness, if you will, is a verb. Consciousness is not a noun. Consciousness is a process. Consciousness is a verb. It's an action thing. It's also a noun because it's a thing, but it is a verb thing. This is a very interesting and a, and a really cool way to think. You know, to think, to move your thinking from the noun to the verb. So, let's take, for example, the essence of relationship. So, relationship is a noun, and it means relationship. What does that mean? Relationship is a structure. Yes? I'm asking you. Yes. Relationship is a structure. And in that structure, in order for it to be a structure, there has to be more than one thing, right? A relationship is the structure that is that is the shape of the relationship between one object and another object. Yes. Yes. There has Absolutely. to be. Or, there has to be more than one object in order for there to be relationship. 
this is very interesting, when we get down to the land of there has to be, (laughs) we're getting very close to objective truth, which is, you know, one of the most elusive essences of all essences. But in order for relationship to function and to be relationship, there has to be more than one thing. So all of a sudden, there is an objective statement. And that, so therefore, all of a sudden, we have, in quotes, the architecture of relationship. And now, that is the verb and the noun of the form of the function of relationship. Okay? Now, looking at that, that form is a proportion. Okay? It's proportion. It's geometry. It's it's proportion. Proportion is harmonic. That is the nature of harmony, is that it is proportion, which is relationship. So now we go all the way back to the top. See? The first thing is relationship is an essence. It's a noun and a verb. Therefore, it's a function. As a noun, it is an architecture. The architecture is requires more than one thing. So the architecture is the architecture of more than one thing, which we are calling relationship. This architecture is proportional. Proportion is harmony. Harmony is proportion. Harmony becomes music. And so with knowledge of all of that and how that works and what does it look like and what are the notes that are the proportion of relationship, I know those things. Ha, ha, ha. And when you know those things, you can compose, which is what you do with music, and you compose by composing harmony. (laughs) And harmony is proportion. And so you can specifically compose a piece of music that represents the architecture of relationship. And so all of a sudden, the music is not the representation of relationship. The music actually is relationship. And that's how it can deliver the direct experience of the function of the essence of relationship. And if you think about that, that's really cool. Very cool. Way cool. And it works. (laughs) And it took a really long time to figure that out, I don't mind telling you. That was a long haul to get to that place. I'm talking about 30 years. It took me to figure that out. And I that's all I ever was doing, was trying to figure that out. 
what are the essences, what are the functions, what are the shapes, how do you do it, then how do you compose so that the composition is, in fact, the harmonic of that proportion. And then how do you record that? You know, how do you go into a recording studio and compose and create instrumentation that performs this harmonic proportional architecture and then how do you record that in such a way that spatially you know in the stereo imaging in the field how does how do you do that how do you do that um and i spent most of my life learning how to do that frankly in the early 80s i had a recording studio in cambridge um, and most of my folks were MIT guys, and everybody's real smart. And um, and we started uh, making soundtracks for interactive video discs. In fact, I was I put the first soundtrack on a laser disc in history, and that experience was so amazing. Um, and we founded a company that became a production company that made interactive media. And this was in 1982-83. And all the tricks that were there to learn in those early, early days, this was before there were CD-ROMs. You know, there was just laser discs. And all of the, the knowledge, you know, the tricks of laying down audio onto a, a disc that was read by a laser that interacted with a computer, um, I you know, those all those tricks really, really helped in the in the in the growing knowledge <laughs> excuse me of what I'm talking about here. Yeah, well and it 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 has provided a more uh, a more direct route. It's still not a direct route, but a more direct route than I can only imagine people that began to feel and see harmonies and and harmonic structure in their in their consciousness, uh, it would then have to run around and and happen across a log that something fell against that made a sound that ooh, that sounds like that sound, and there's now it was much more difficult back then. I played with some uh, synthesizer uh, things that well, it was much like you know very expensive pocket calculators back then cost a dollar now. Um, and ways that you could just play with the sound until you get it to more closely align with the way you see it. I mean, it seems to me that it's been, like you said, um, would be part and parcel of that, rather than searching oh, around for an instrument that physically, you know, traveling around looking for an instrument that makes that sound. Right. That was part of the thing. Is, is, you know, programming synthesizers, you know, in an analog universe as opposed to a digital universe. You know, and, and so I bring that, you know, I did that for years. Um, I mean, I worked with Robert Moog in the early, you know, in his in his classes in Cambridge. And, in, uh, and I learned at the feet of those masters, you know, how to program, you know, filters in a synthesizer, um, which, by the way, doesn't happen today at all. You know, in the digital universe today, 
um, all of those, all the, all the sounds are pre-programmed, and you have to, you know, to get inside the sound um, is nearly impossible. Um, it's really a pain, actually. And yeah. All, the art of synthesis is is also, you know, gone by the wayside, just like multi-track tape has gone by the wayside. And, and, well, there's uh, five there's five thousand instruments that already come with it, so. You know, you're not exactly. So why bother? Right. So why right. bother? But in fact, my world and my work still is involved in in, in programming and uh, and using real instruments first of all, and and singing lots of singing, lots of vocal vocal stuff, um, and also being able to go inside the synths. Um, and you know, and and make them do what I want them to do, as opposed to them telling me what they want me to do. Right, right. Uh, but normally, you know, people soundtrack writers now, and just you know, players now, they just call up the patch, and there it is. You know, it's already done. Um, as opposed to this other way. So anyway. Uh, that's that's all I want to say really about the music is how how it creates a direct experience, which is uh, you know this bringing forward of the of the architecture of the essence and recognizing the proportional value of that architecture, seeing then the harmonic relationship to that proportion, and then being able to compose music accordingly, uh, and then being able to render that music uh, in three-dimensional space um you know yeah we were just uh, we were talking about this tuesday uh when we had another musician on kev Rowe and uh gene you were talking about how it used to us sometimes as an author of these people that you know make this music that's more like a direct words inspire feelings in people but this is like a more direct representation and and it really is um because you can have well you can have mathematically perfect relationships in a musical instrument particularly a digital one uh as opposed to uh, say in the behavior of a crowd well yeah. exactly mathematically perfect no, far from it, and nor would we want it to be. No, but it's certainly not from that limited perspective. But but um, it, you know, one of the things that that happened with the chakra sound system, which uh, you know is the newest release, which we just listened to. This was released in November on on Sounds True, the big publisher Sounds True, and. Chakra Sound System has 16 30-minute pieces of music and 16 individual guided meditations for each essence and a book. Um, and it's the biggest single musical uh, offering that Sounds True's ever, uh, ever put out. Um, and, you know, I have, it's very nice for me. I mean, it's, it, they're calling it the Bible of sound healing, if you can imagine. People are calling it that. It's, well, oh, my. You know, that's a pretty big deal. And, 
But again, it's like 30 years, you know, it's all, all here. And it's. Well, it takes a long time to see all the parts before you can back up and see the whole, I think. It uh, does. There, there are so many parallels here as we had in our discussion when we had uh, Charles on. Uh, that talked about uh, sacred geometry, that he's been uh-huh. drawing circles and per- sacred ge- geometric proportions for 28 years. Right. And, 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 and thinks he's about to get the hang of it. And, right. And, and sees and discovers, I mean, he, he paints pieces for people that take weeks, you know, hundreds sure. of hours right. standing there looking at the piece of canvas. Sure. And, sure. um, it took me three years to make the chakra sound system. It's 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 very similar in the way that he's looking at it, it because he's not just they're not just artistic pieces of they're great beautiful pieces of art but he's like yeah. do you understand when you start in one corner with a pattern and if you're off by just a twiggle by the other end of the canvas you're it's all screwed up so. That's right. And because the proportions are, he's trying to, and does, present these extraordinary, accurate, proportional drawings. And and, mm-hmm. and it's much the same with uh, uh, with, with music, with, perhaps. With, with what I'm talking about. And, yeah, it's, it's finding those structural members that go together and, and form a harmony as opposed to a, you know, mm-hmm. disharmony. And also, and I have to say this, you know, as a jazz musician, it's very important to constantly um, improvise and to constantly give up the form. And in in Ayurvedic practice, there's a wonderful phrase musically. It's called freedom through discipline. So the idea is is that you can know the form and play the form, but it is through the knowledge of the form and then through the deep repetition of the form that you let go of the form. And uh, and I really want to, you know, say this because my work is far from, uh, you know, being mathematically... My intention is not to mathematically... Uh, uh, to create mathematically precise, uh, you know, oral, A-U-R-A-L, oral pictures of sacred geometry. I could do that and have done that, and I'm a practitioner of many, many years of sacred geometry. Um, but my intention is to create, um, through the container of the proportion of the sacred essence, to create a, a a a fluid direct experience of that function, which by necessity the direct experience of the function has to include the 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 energy of infinite possibility. It can't be a static form. It it has to be it, the form itself has to contain the possibility. For for improvisational um, uh, structure, you know. So yeah. it, we can 
that so so yes in its preciseness um the the precision of the form offers the opportunity for the if you will the expansion of the form harmonically and and that is a very esoteric place and it, and it is in my opinion it's only available through the art of music it's because music is the bridge between the physical world and the etheric energetic world music is is ephemeral by nature and because yeah. and the thing that makes it ephemeral is that it's it's pure vibration See, it's vibrational. Nature. And it's pure harmonic. It's I make a thing vibrate over here, and then your yeah. eardrum vibrates in in harmony and sympath- sympathetic vibration with that. It's There's not really sort of, oh, the vibrations go through the... Somehow the vibrations got from over here to over there, but you well, can't see them in between. No, we would say we would. this is, this is the, the phenomenon of resonance. So if I hold up a tuning fork, if I have two tuning forks, and this tuning fork is in the key of C, and this tuning fork is in the key of C, and I strike this one tuning fork on my knee, and I hold it up next to this other tuning fork, the other tuning fork starts vibrating without my striking it. That's what you're talking Exactly. Exactly. And and, so it is, it, it sort of combines, like you said, that physical and etheric quality and, yeah, music and, and, and bridges the gap. Yeah, it, and it's the only art form that does that. Painting doesn't do that. You know, it, it is a representation and really, really, really advanced painters like like Clay, C-A-L-E-E, or other folks of his stature, they were musicians and they were also painters. And they developed an ability to paint the music, and they used, you know, knowledge of proportion and color, and they spoke of it in terms of harmony. Uh, but try as you may, the painting is still a static object. Um, the music, music is not. Music is vibrational. It moves. It has physical characteristics that move. You know, that's why you have a stereo. That's why you have a 5.1 theater system, you know, because sound is moving. Um, and it's the only art form that does that. Yeah, with all of our grand digital technology, we still generally recreate the sound with a moving thing because that's, that's right. how sound works. That's how sound works. <laughs> so uh, wonderful expl- explanations. Uh, we want to be sure. I've been putting your links in the chat room, and they will, of course, be on our uh, archive that will be up this weekend uh, at, at our website. Uh, but once again, for our podcast uh, listeners who are of the thousands and, and are nowhere near a screen usually when they're listening, um, they can go to uh, com and uh, ChakraSoundSystem.com. Is that correct? Yeah, they can go there, and they can also go to Facebook. Absolutely. It's the sacred science of creative consciousness. 
And we'll have link, all of those links up on our archive later, folks. If, you, if, if you're missing them, you can always just pop by uh, everydayconnection.me, and uh, it'll be right there starting yeah, Saturday, Sunday. That's lovely, and what a, what, a, what a nice time I had with you all this evening. Uh, it's been wonderful to have you here, and uh, it's a, uh, a grand and, and complex subject that could take decades to get a grasp on and you've 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 got quite a talent for uh encapsulating that you you thank uh, you you state it well that's part that's part of my job right that's what we do I, that's what i tell people i'm i'm just a translator of vibration that's what i do right on what we do um so next week jane we have people coming again next week Still, so, <laughs> imagine that. I'm going to sign off now, you all. Um, all right, all right. it's been wonderful to have you with us. Thanks so much for uh, sharing your time and your talents with us. And uh, uh, and Gene, Gene, thank you for for making this possible. I appreciate it a lot. Oh, it was my pleasure. Um, I have a lot to take in tonight. Um, you hit on a lot of a lot of the stuff we discussed today, and I'm. Now in that eyes are droopy, kind of relaxed mode, which means that I've passed the hump and now it's just all about absorption time and moving on. So thank you for coming and and being here in such a timely fashion to talk about something that was uh, important to me and my my own personal growth. Um, Okay, I'll see you guys soon. Do it again. Bye. Bye bye. Okay. So cool. Yes. So cool. Yeah. We yeah. have. Well, uh, no, George. <laughs> we're back to a nice uh, mixture next week. This was sort of musical week. Uh, I guess we we did have the author break in the middle, but uh, we did. We have another brilliant author at that. Brilliant author at that. Had a wonderful time, mm-hmm. and um, I'm sure we'll have a wonderful time again next week. Tuesday we have an author and uh, love publisher Kamaya that will be with mm-hmm. us on Tuesday. And uh, mm-hmm. then we'll have a, a a midday, at least in my time zone, uh, episode uh, on Wednesday with uh, Simon of Simon on the Sofa. Yes, uh, in the UK. Mm-hmm. Have fun with that. Be joining us from over there. And if you don't know Simon on the Sofa or why we're saying Simon on the Sofa, uh, come join us because his Tremendous fun. I love his work, and it's going to be a blast. And then uh, raw food on Thursday. Raw right, food I'd prep. like to point out that um, huh? next week is a truly international week. Uh, Kamaya is coming to us from um, from New Zealand, and Simon on the Sofa is coming to us from Malta. And Susan Wilson, our Raw food expert is coming to us from Costa Rica. So this is, you know, I mean, this is one of those weeks where it's, it's a time to really celebrate the amazing gift that this technology has offered to us to allow us to bring these beautiful people from all over the world. And, and really, like, next week is just such a brilliant example of that. There are no Canadian guests and no USA guests next week. <laughs> yeah, it's just you and I and the in the Canuck yeah. category. And um uh, yeah. but it is it's, it's gonna amazing. be a truly folks. international week. Used to be two hundred 
two or three big national media outlets that could do this. And so they could choose who you heard from. And regardless of how they chose, it's not theirs to choose. You choose. And we're thrilled that you choose us as often as you do. Uh, It's just amazing and and fun, too. It's very, very cool. It's very, very cool that we um, we can do that in this, this manner. So we hope you'll join us next Tuesday with Kamaya f- from New Zealand. And until then. To our mother, to each other, and especially to yourselves. Stay connected. Good night, everybody. We hope you'll join us again next time. Until then, visit our website at everydayconnection.me. And please like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everydayconnection. Think you might miss an episode? No problem. Subscribe to our show on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your Everyday Connection. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details.